In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine... Well, very little, actually. Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Season 6 of Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcast and Google Play Music. This season, we're doing something special. We're going to have 10 episodes as usual, but every single one of them is going to have a guest geek. So really, this is Giant Geek versus Mega Noobs, plural. Yes, in which case, we're both going to be the noob every single time. Hooray! Yay! We're broadening our pop cultural horizons this season. Exactly. So uh, today, though, we're talking about both volumes of Kill Bill. The movie's released in 2003 and 2004 by Quentin Tarantino. Kill Bill stars Uma Thurman as the bride, a woman seeking revenge against her former boss and lover, who is, spoiler alert, this is really going to shock everyone, named Bill. (gasps) I know. Who would have thought? David Carradine plays Bill, the head of a group of assassins named the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, including Elle, played by Daryl Hannah, and Lucy Liu as Yakuza boss Oren Ishii. And since neither of us have seen these movies, we are going to need to bring in an outside expert. That would be me, David Reese. I am this episode's guest, Giant Geek. Uh, David's my friend. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, David. We are really excited to watch these movies with you. And also (laughs) for willfully self-identifying as a giant geek. Good job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are going to watch these uh, together. We're going to go watch these and we'll come back and talk about them with spoilers and everything um but kind of before we do maybe just lay the groundwork a little bit david is why why did you pick uh kill bill volume is it is it is it the kill bills or is it the kills bill i'm not sure how to pluralize this but... uh, <laughs> good question i've always called it the kill bills yeah. um or kill bill volumes one and two yeah uh i chose them because when i saw these movies uh back in 2003 when they were released uh Volume 1 was released in 2003, Volume 2 was released about six months later in 2004, but uh, I chose them because, like, when I had seen them, I had never seen a movie do the things that Kill Bill Volume 1 does, and I couldn't wait for Volume 2, and then when Volume 2 came out, I was like, oh, that was was completely different. I had no idea that would happen either. So I chose them because it's so much tonal shift in one body of work and i'm just a sucker for it all right interesting Uh, so uh i'm assuming david already has these movies in some capacity but uh emily do you uh, have a sense of how how are we going to watch these here yeah so we can rent them from um all of the usual places amazon google itunes voodoo all of all those good things and actually i also discovered that if like me you have your have the stars add-on subscription to amazon uh the first one is actually free on stars Awesome. But you have to pay to rent if otherwise. Yeah, you have to pay for stars. Um, well, that and... too. I am, paying, I am paying for stars. I guess that's true. But I mean, individually, <laughs> you have to pay for the movies. 
That doesn't sound like a good deal, but I, I don't know. <laughs> hey, you don't watch Outlander, so you don't understand the need for my Stars subscription, all right? It's all right, really important right. to me. I, I've heard things about Outlander. I'm, I'm I think discovering it's on our, things. I think it's on our list for yeah. when, when we're back to being geeks ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we're going to watch The Kills Bill. And so uh, as a reminder, these are two movies, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Uh, so they will be rented separately if you're if you're renting them. It'll be like two or three bucks each. Um, make sure to watch both of them because we are going yes. to have spoilers for both of them after this break. I was five and he was six. We rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore white He would always win the fight Bang, bang, he shot me down Bang, bang, I hit the ground Bang, bang, that awful sound Bang, bang, my baby shot me down And we're back. We've just watched Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. And before we get to what Emily and I, as the noobs, thought of these movies, uh, we're going to throw it to our guest geek, David Reese, here. David, what do you love about The Kills Bill so much? Yeah. So, okay, I got to go back a little bit, because yeah. I also watched, I watched Volume 1 uh, last night. I didn't watch Volume 2. I've seen it more than enough. Committed which, to memory. <laughs> quite to memory. And uh, watching Volume 1 again last night, I was like, oh, shit, this movie's, like, hammy. Like, this is a hammy kind of hokey film. But, like, at the time that I saw it, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, I was blown away. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God. It's told out of chronological order. There's a scene that's animated. There's There's a a scene in black and white. There's a scene in black and white. (laughs) And, like, there are things, like, there are people flying almost. Uh, There's sword play. There's a guy making a sword who swore he would never make a sword ever again. <laughs> a vow to God. There's like so many like cheesy kind of like hockey things that I thoroughly just enjoyed watching and viewing that it was just such like a romp, you know, like it was a an adventure to be taken on. And then volume two comes out and it was like, oh, no, actually, we're going to we're going to legitimize like this character and we're going to legitimize everything she does and like we'll get into it a little bit later but i really do adore that volume two has a much bigger sense of danger towards the main character the protagonist beatrix kiddo also referred to as the bride uh and it seems like the things that stop beatrix kiddo in volume two are that she can't do the thing she did in one she can't fight with the sword because who the fuck fights with a sword? Like, <laughs> that's not a thing people do. And she has to face much more real, eminent danger uh, that's rooted in a landscape that is unlike Volume 1 whatsoever. So, yeah, I mean, you saw these movies with a full year in between them, I'm guessing. Like, you saw... They came out about six months apart. Uh, for, I recall, like, when Volume 1 came out, it was already understood that Volume 2 would be released uh, several months later, but not a full year. Um, I just remember it wasn't a full year, but it was like, okay, this is also why I liked it. It was all shot continuously. Yeah. Um, it was like intended to be one. It was long intended movie. to be one very long movie. And the runtime, if you do that is over four hours. And so yeah, I've that's, always, that's been... what we've done in the last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and so I've always been curious. I actually don't know the answer. I don't know if there is a sort of super cut that 
puts parts of volume one and parts of volume two like right in chronological next, order yeah sort of, or? in chronological order or right next to each other and if that like varies the tone a lot more um or if quinta tarantino was told like dude you can't have a four-hour movie we're not gonna do it so he's like well I'll put all of the ham in one movie and all of the non-ham in another movie it does seem like it would be a conscious choice to to have the tone shift so dramatically between the two yeah but at the same time it's tarantino so, so i got no clue the tone can shift dramatically in the span of you know you know multiple times in the span of yeah yeah. (laughs) uh but yeah it was uh there was an anticipation of when the next one would come out i think that was something that i was uh making note of when i was watching i watched both these movies just like immediately back to back last night and um it did seem to me like the fact that it was out of chronological order that this was a much longer work that was split up into two um I don't know. It, it it was a little bit weird, I, I, yeah. which is par for the course for Tarantino. But I, I kind yeah, of had kind a little of bit of a deal. hard. I, I, I had and, and like I was saying to saying David before we started recording that I, with these movies, I've now seen almost everything he's done. I, like almost all oh, his wow. movies. Wow, I definitely cannot say that. The only ones I haven't seen are I guess he directed part of Sin City, which was a Robert Rodriguez film, That's right. and Death Proof, which was like the uh, the half of the grindhouse that he made with robert rodriguez like those are the only two tarantinos i haven't seen now um so i like i, I gotta I, pull up his his imdb page but it's possible that i've literally only seen this in pulp fiction <laughs> yeah <laughs> unless unless there's something i'm like not thinking of that but yeah, yeah. i have i have not seen that many continue sorry so, so, but my point is that I'm like I'm down with like Tarantino's weirdness. Like I, I'm like I got I'm enough of a uh, I'm I'm familiar enough with his style that like when you see someone's feet in you yeah. see Uma Thurman's feet <laughs> yeah. in this movie, I'm like that's that's a Tarantino thing. He's really into feet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh well, that I know that I know from like watching cracked videos and stuff. Also, since I happen to be on Quentin Tarantino's IMDb page right now, I can actually tell you that in 2011 they released they released Kill Bill: The Whole Bloody Affair. And it was like a four-hour cut. Four-hour, seven minutes long. I assume it happens in the same order that these movies do. I like. I would doubt yeah. that they that they cut it up and like put it back together. Yeah. But, but yeah, that does exist. So FYI. Um, so so anyway, yeah. So I, I'm like I was down with the weirdness of of this movie, but I also I don't know. I had I had a bit of a hard time, especially with the first one. I think with just kind of the 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 craziness of, of the yeah. of the first one. It kind of it kind of felt like and Emily. This will mean very little to you, I imagine, but it kind of felt like a video game where the protagonist is just like mowing down kind of you know faceless enemies, and I, I felt very uninvested in the bride's story until part fun, two. I have a fun analogy for how I felt about the first one, which sounds like uh-huh. it was kind of similar to how you felt about the first one. Uh, which is that it uh, it made me it made me think of ballet, so yeah. like, for a couple reasons. Obviously, it's a lot of very choreographed things. But um, mm-hmm. so so I really love ballet. Okay, like I you know when I was when I was younger, we actually subscribed to the ballet, and my dad and I would go to the ballet mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And like um, very often, you go to the ballet, and they're doing Swan Lake or Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> and there's a plot, and there's elaborate costumes and characters and sets and all of that kind of nonsense. But really, really often you go and they're actually just doing like three random short ballet things that are just mm-hmm. like choreography uh-huh. set to some nice Mozart or something. <laughs> and like I super enjoy them because like I like watching dance. Mm-hmm. But if you're not somebody who is in it just to watch the lovely dancing and, and like appreciate right. that, like 
those that's not the ballet you're going to you're going to wait until they perform swan lake you know kind of a story that you know or or, or or just a a story in general like a story you can follow because there's literally no story in the in a lot of (laughs) these just little sort of nice bits of ballet choreography that they do and Mm. i i kind of feel like that's what the first movie is like but not for ballet for like if like a kick-ass fight scenes it's like Mm. it's like that it's like it's you know just just really well put together kick-ass fight scenes and if that's your bag then hot damn you should watch the first kill bill movie (laughs) yeah for me i'm kind of like i mean i appreciate a good fight scene but like i need to be like you know invested in in whether james bond is gonna get past the villain or something you know what i mean like i Mm -hmm. i i i'm not i'm not not super into watching a fight scene just for like the awesomeness of it, which I feel mm-hmm. like is a lot of what's happening in the first one. It's just mm-hmm. fight scenes for the awesomeness of them. Well, to the credit of the movie, like the, the, the first big fight scene with Vivica A. Fox, where like good, they, yeah. where, where the end of the scene, they're either, or they're interrupted by the, by the daughter. And then there's a chance for, Hey, you want to get some coffee? There's a chance for some exposition. And yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that was a really good job of like, you know, throw you right into the deep end, but then you paddle a little bit out. So you get, you get a, get a little bit of a breather there before that amazing, you know, fake out where she reaches into the cereal box and, you know, uh, <laughs> right. shoots at her. Um, but like later on in the movie, I felt like there were like the fight scenes later on, even the really amazingly, you know, well choreographed one in the Japanese restaurant. I don't know. I was feeling kind of fatigued Me too. by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was. I was like, I, yeah, this is. I mean, it's. I. I recognize the artistry of it, but I'm also just like, I don't need this to be a whole movie of like, <laughs> basically just this happening, which it. It was a lot of that. So yeah, yeah. I uh, will. I will too. say, yeah, that um, I was watching it last night, and like it split into chapters, and. Very Tarantino. Very Tarantino. And like there's a there's there's that chapter that begins, chapter five, House of the like Battle at the House of Blue Tea Leaves or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. whatever it's called. And uh when that like when that chapter screen comes up, like I remember very much so thinking last night, I was like, Oh, whoa, like we're already here, like there's still an hour left. I was like, <laughs> That's oh sh- yep, you're right. And then uh I watched it with my girlfriend and my girlfriend does not do well with like violent movies. And she was like, I know what's going to happen. Like, I know, like, I know how violent this movie is supposed to be. And so she's like, we have to, we have to take just like an alcohol break. (laughs) We we just have to have like a mimosa. And and then like, like, I can strap down. I can watch this movie. I can watch blood spurt aggressively everywhere. Just everywhere. And so like, (laughs) it's black and white. So it's okay. It's okay. Not all the blood spurting is black and white. (laughs) So yeah, there's just a um... lot of blood that flies in a lot of places. (laughs) It does wear you down. Like it does. It definitely does. And like, it can be, I think it can be downright like stressful. Like it after is, a while, yes. you're just like, like you need to take a breather. Um, and but I think it's like with this movie, it's so, it's so artistic and it's so stylistic that I don't think that's an accident. Like the, oh, the, the, the yeah. what I was feeling, it just wasn't no. necessarily the first movie wasn't really for me. That's yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, I feel yeah. like oh, Tarantino yeah, yeah. knew exactly what he was what doing. doing. <laughs> well, and that's what it, that's what I mean about like I'm not I'm not gonna say it's a bad movie because right. like because it was like oh, just so much fight scenes. It's just like. That's not for me in the same way mm-hmm. that, you know, ballet is for me, but might not be for you. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. yeah. it's just, I feel you, like You can appreciate and respect the artistry without, you know, getting without, into it personally. Yeah, without wanting to yeah. watch it again. 
Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's kind of, like, my, my high-level thoughts on the first movie. Emily, did you have any other sort of, like, big thoughts on, on that one, or should we dive into notes? <laughs> um, well, that depends on whether we want to stay at, like, overarching story level, or, like, shall I, shall I make my other big comment that I have about the first movie before we move on to the second one, or, like, how do we want to... Let's let's try us. Let's uh let's do the the second thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I am extremely not down with the the Eric. I feel like Eric already probably knows where this is yep. going. Uh, with with the plot line in the hospital where the guy is raping her in when she's in a coma. Um, yeah. and here's why: there is no need for that. There's absolutely there it i i don't see a purpose to it at all um you know when it's when it's just the first guy who comes in and pays to do it and then mm-hmm. you know she attacks him it's like okay cool so what you've done here is set this up when we already know that she's awake now and you've basically you've just done this for the express purpose of like giving her the chance to like be a badass and like fight back against this guy okay we've already seen her fight we're about mm-hmm. to see her fight a bunch more. We already know mm-hmm. this woman is a fucking badass who can who can, you know, kick ass, take names, whatever. And it's fair to assume that like for whatever reason she would probably have to fight on her way out of the hospital anyway. That doesn't have to be the reason. And it sets up so many other things including the implicate cuz like that that scene opens with like a shot of the whole room and there's like other people there who are in comas so the implication of that and it's a dude it's clearly a dude who works in the hospital so the implication of that is that this is happening all the time and it's happening to all of these people who are in comas who are not badass trained assassins who get Mm -hmm. who do not wake up from their comas and don't get the chance to fight back also this has clearly happened to her repeatedly in the four years that she has been in that coma and again, there is literally absolutely no fucking reason for it. Now here's the rules. <clears throat> Rule number one, no punching her. Nurse comes in tomorrow and she got her a shiner or less some teeth, jigs up. So no knuckle sandwiches under no circumstances. And by the way, this little cunt's a spitter. It's a motor reflex thing. But spitter, no, no punching. Now are we absolutely positively clear on rule number one? Yeah. Good. Now rule number two, no monkey bites, no hickeys. In fact, no leaving no marks or no kind. After that, it's all good, buddy. We know she is a badass. We know she can fight. We've already seen her go through a lot of trauma, and we discover more about the trauma and, like, the trauma of the situation and why she's on this rampage. There is absolutely no reason for it to happen. It doesn't help develop her as a character. The movie never returns to it as something that that she has to grapple with or get past or that that changes her in literally any way she doesn't go back to the hospital and rescue the uh, i mean well i guess by killing right. that guy she stops it from happening from him but who knows who else is doing it it's clearly an no. established business with a clientele it's, and there's it's, yeah. no fuck that entire plot line that doesn't need to happen yeah no absolutely not and for that re- that also helps like take me a lot out of the movie i was very much like what the shit is no i'm no i am not here for this so that is my other thought on the first movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> saw that one coming. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, sure I, you saw it coming as soon as the conversation happened in the hospital in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, quick, quick side note question before we dive in, dive into that uh, is 
So was she in the coma for four years? Like it wasn't like she looks at her hands when she wakes up and says four years, and it didn't occur to me immediately that oh she was actually in the coma for for that long. That's Is my that... understanding. She's yeah. in the coma. For okay, four years. that was I how understood. she determined that. Okay, yeah. that's even more fucked up than I thought it was then because like. I was thinking she was in the coma for a short time and maybe she was saying that as if it was some sort of like she had to wait four years to take revenge. Like that was like oh, those setting okay. up like she yeah, was yeah. saying that because it meant she this is some like process or some like ritual where she had to wait four years, you know, some, something like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to add. I like it's also fucked up. It also took me away from the, it gave me distance with the movie. Um, yeah, I think it's a valid point. I think it's a super valid point. Um, I criticize a lot of uh, novels that uh, use sexual abuse as a plot device when uh, either they are like hopelessly transparent in being a plot device. Like, oh, this uh, didn't think I'd talk about the kite runner on today's episode. But for <laughs> anyone who's fucking who's read the kite runner, um, spoilers. Uh, the kite runner is about. Uh, boy and I, it might be his brother I don't entirely know if it's his brother but um, when he's growing up he sees either his brother or his best friend uh, being sexually abused and that like spurs something inside of him and he doesn't talk about it for a very long time and the, the novel moves forward like 20 years I think 10 to 20 years and he revisits his home and this antagonist in the novel like just happens to be like 10 to 20 years later the exact person who sexually abused his best friend and it's like the likelihood of that happening in this city of literally millions of people and the way it's set up is the antagonist has become sort of like a rich politician uh who is viewed by the public and it's just it's just so convenient that this act of sexual abuse which is completely random in Mm -hmm. the first chapter or two of the novel somehow becomes full circle like the idea that sexual abuse can become full circle as well like oh mm-hmm. yeah you you can get revenge like you yeah. you can well and it's like, and it's also it sounds people. like it's used yeah. as a motivator for the victim's friend and not the victim himself which right. yeah it's yeah fucked up which is its own thing and, um it's yeah. sort of like the whole trip of like when you we fridge a character where it's just like they you kill them off yes. just to motivate someone else or yes. to move the plot along right. or whatever and yeah. and um, pop pop culture pop culture is full of this shit i mean pop culture mm-hmm. that i that I, I mean god fucking game of thrones is yeah. is one of the worst oh, offenders yeah. of this but you know it's and and that's why that's what i why i specifically said it the way i did though about like it doesn't do anything it doesn't change her character in any way it doesn't mm-hmm. in any way motivate her plot beyond you know another an, an extra reason to kill that one particular person mm-hmm. it's like it's 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 completely random extra trauma that doesn't need to happen and pop culture loves to do it like you know movies and tv they love to use sexual violence as as an excuse to move things forward as a throwaway just like extra thing to throw at a character as Mm -hmm. as you know all kinds of just like this sort of and it's like no yeah uh, you know, there there are other there are other kinds of motivators and other kinds of and and other other hardship to put women through. In fact, you did it with this woman quite well. You you <laughs> you already gave her a lot of a lot of trauma and a lot of um a lot of you know motivation for revenge and all kinds of things like that. 
you, you the, shot her in the head and then she and wakes killed, up and thinks and her baby her, is gone. Yeah, yeah. And, and as far as she knows, killed her child and killed the guy she was going to marry and killed her friends and killed all, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you already you already accomplished the thing where you motivated your character without mm-hmm. raping her, which is nice because, like, many things use rape as motivation and then you do this for no reason at all like it's it's yeah it's, it's kind of the thing that i think tarantino gets accused of a lot of where it's gratuitous where it's just right. like a thing that's yeah. there because it's there and i think i think more generally i mean like i'm perfectly fine with like excessive violence or with stuff that other people would call gratuitous but yeah i think this movie kind of that sense of fatigue that i was getting at earlier um i i, I don't know i kind of felt like there was just it was just there to be there and that it didn't really do anything as you're saying like we would you know it didn't do anything to really advance the plot or to make the characters you know more interesting or mm-hmm. to really it, it it felt sort of like um it kind of felt like the boondock saints at times which i know is obviously a movie that is ripping off tarantino quite a bit and that i haven't seen <laughs> It's it's not. I mean, it's, it was a movie Sorry. that I. It was, it was a movie that like when I was in high school, like high school boys really liked that movie, yeah. but it, <laughs> ah, it does not okay. hold up especially well, as in my yeah. opinion. Um, <laughs> but like it, it felt like kind of the just the the need to shock the audience, or the need, or, or or the movie thought that it was, you know, doing something bold, and really it was just doing something exploitative. And as yeah. we know, yep. you know, Tarantino was a big fan of, of exploitation films, which, you know, were the, the original, they were the progenitors of that kind of line of thinking of just yeah. like, let's just throw in some TNA and then yep. some murder, you yeah, know, yeah. in the same Hooray. scene, you know, <laughs> like, um, so I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like having a hard time kind of with... agree with me on that part. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having hard. I, I had a bit of a hard time with uh, actually both these movies to an extent. Uh, definitely the first one with just kind of like, you know, all the things about it that were super cool stylistically, and that and Uma Thurman was actually really, you know, a compelling. Eventually, got to be a really compelling, like, you know. Um, part of the movie not really a fully fleshed out character but still like she had a lot of interesting you know choices and but at the end of the day yeah i kind of i i'm having a hard time really saying to myself like yeah i really want to go back and and watch that again you know (laughs) yeah well, you know what? On a on a related note, also while we're while we're talking about the first one, I, I was also and I think some of this was just confusion. Um, yeah. So, but I thought the the um, Lucy Liu's backstory that was all in yeah. animation that was really cool. Oren Ishii was born on an American military base in Tokyo, Japan. The half Japanese, half Chinese American Army brat made her first acquaintance with death at the age of nine. It was at that age she witnessed the death of her parents at the hands of Japan's most ruthless Yakuza boss, Boss Matsumoto. That, I, that was my favorite scene in the first movie. Yeah, like. that, was, that was like a really, really, really cool thing. However, I was confused and I didn't understand what it was saying. And I like rewound and went back and watched it again and I still didn't get it. And the only way it makes sense is another thing that... that sketches me out so i'm gonna ask because maybe i'm reading it wrong when when they say like she you know she wanted to get her revenge and lucky for her that guy was a pedophile and then it cuts and she's he's lying down and she is sitting astride him and she's they say she's like 11 or 12 and she Mm -hmm. kills him and Mm -hmm. i just want to know like what the fuck is 
are, are we to assume that she seduced him because she's a little child and he's a pedophile and that's because like I, I I think she Arya stirred him I, th- I think yeah. I think she okay. she like seduced him but didn't actually do anything like when he yeah. thought that they were going to do something then she pulls at the katana right and, and... so so that's that's I guess pretty much what I assumed from from what what's happening with that and but it's again it's kind of like I right. feel like we could have gotten there another way right because again the implication of that is that there's lord knows how many children running around that are not you know vengeful Mm -hmm. expert killers who murder him in that scenario and have agency in that scenario but are children who are abused and i feel like this murderous child probably could have murdered him some other way yeah (laughs) i i agree otherwise i was like i was super into the animation sequence and then that happened and i was like wait what yeah i are we really i guys come on yeah um <laughs> sorry i'm just wet blanketing <laughs> no but i mean like i i don't, I don't know I, that... uh, I i disagree with it i like okay like i agree with again like okay we can talk a lot about implications that harm a movie like and i totally agree with that like i understand that but i do, like it is a plot device like oh again he's a pedophile so she like was able to murder him I think I disagree with the point where she would have been able to murder him if he wasn't someone who preyed on children. Like the fact she was able to get her revenge at age eleven. Yeah, exactly. Okay, like, all right. That's, that's, that's what I think. And I have, yeah. I mean, I have less of a problem with it than I do with the other, the other thing. Yeah. It was just, it was, yeah. it, it happened, it happened. Like I think it was in like the next chapter, and like maybe mm-hmm. it, it it also happened sort of soon after it so i was like kind mm-hmm. of all right re- I, I was kind of still angrily writing notes about the <laughs> rape plot and then that happened too and like i was like what the what am i watching right now <laughs> yeah. like so that that's that's kind of part of it too and like I, I i do i do think you're you're right that like it it, it definitely makes more sense in a plot way than than the, the other does and for th- sure. there's also like the at least from my reading of it it's not that she was, you know, sexually abused by right. this guy. Yeah, you know, well, these are my, my inference. She right. in that in that, you know, she she has the agency where she has like presumably found that out about him and yeah. right. is using it to her advantage to kill him, which makes it very, very different. For sure. And and you know, mm-hmm. the Maybe if they had spelled that out, but I guess, you know, Tarantino, he really wanted to get the movie down on time. He's really thrifty about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, about right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, I will say one more thing about that, uh, that kind of anime scene, which um, watching the first movie, especially thinking about what it must have been like watching the first movie in isolation without the second one right after, without kind of yeah. having an immediate follow-up. It was it was strange to me how we got more backstory for Oren than we did for the bride. Yeah, like it, it and it, also it, still, like even with yeah, the second even after one, everything's we done. still have more backstory for Oren than we have for the bride. True, we know yeah. how she got her training, but we still don't know why. Right. So like I don't know. Did that is that something that did that ever like bother you when you were watching? Did. Like, yeah, uh, it's like it's an in like. It's not the same treatment of all of, like, the... One, it's not the same treatment of all of the deadly Viper assassination squad. And it's not the same treatment of, yeah, of of Uma Thurman's character. I don't know why, like, other than, like, oh, man, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, man, would it be so fucking cool, like, if this <laughs> scene was animated? And they're like, oh, how do we get an animated scene? Like, That's uh, how I imagine I the know, genesis like... of a lot of what happens in these movies, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it was, yeah, I, I still, like, 
even with volume two, like I don't, I don't understand why Oren gets like this preferential treatment mm-hmm. of, like of yeah, of getting that fuller backstory. Yeah, cause you don't get that with Vivica A. Fox. You don't no. get that with Daryl Hannah. You no. don't get that with uh, whoever the actor who plays Bud is. You know. Oh, yeah, By yeah. the way, even though it said that it was Daryl Hannah in like the opening credits, like uh-huh. I kind of forgot, and like, <laughs> and like because of because. I don't know. It's different from other Daryl Hannah roles, and she has that eye patch on. Like it wasn't until the closing credits of the second one that I was like, "Oh shit, that was Daryl Hannah!" Like, <laughs> I was like, totally oblivious to it. So, so two things about that. One is that uh, opening credits. I, you know, uh, they're going by. There's a lot of names. I thought it said Daryl Hammond from SNL. <laughs> and so I was waiting for Daryl Hammond to show up. Uh, second thing is that I've been to several Comic-Cons, and now I finally get why those women dress, walking around in oh. nurses' uniforms with eye patches with the red cross on them. You're I'm like, like, why is everyone dressed like that one Blink-182 album? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, for, I used to think that's what it was. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Kill Bill thing. Now I know. <laughs> Um, so those are my two, my two confessions for, for, for today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, while um, we're doing like random, like pop cultural reference to this movie, it was so much so that I actually looked up whether it was him and it's definitely not. Um, if mm. you're familiar at all with the, the sublime album, Robin the hood, it's their second, it's their, their in between studio album. Yeah. Not all familiar. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So it's this, it's a very weird album, um, with like, super low production values it's a very strange album um but for some reason it's the one that i've listened to more than most of them anyway uh there are several like of these interludes that are called raleigh soliloquies and they're just like recordings of this like like guy just kind of like raving with a filtering system of god with a psychosemantic police you can't even see us how in the fuck can you do anything about it we're pure intelligence you're not you're biological product of the cosmological universe you're molecular matter i constructed you fuck you um and i look and i looked it up and it's yeah. it's apparently it's some a guy with schizophrenia that they knew and like recorded and like it's like mm. his like rants are part of the <laughs> album it's very strange but he sounds so much like David Carradine. I actually oh. went and looked whether it was him because, like, he sounds ex- so. Like, I kept, I kept thinking that, like, especially before you see his face, like when mm-hmm. you just hear his voice, like talking to various people. I kept thinking, like, God damn it, this sounds like those Sublime songs. Like, how weird <laughs> is that? Like, well, anyway. Just, just while we're doing random aside. <laughs> yeah, and one more random aside on the topic of David Carradine, and this will bring us into uh, volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, nice transition. I cannot watch David Carradine in anything without thinking of Best of the Worst, which is a YouTube series, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. And there is one episode where they talk at length about how David Carradine died. And uh, it's very embarrassing, if you, if you, if you yeah. don't know. Uh, do you, you, your face is just you do, don't know I this. I do not know that story. Uh, I might be ruining all future David Carradine films for you here, if you're planning to watch any more. He died accidentally in an autoerotic asphyxiation. Uh, the classic. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and Alrighty so best of, best of the Worst, which, you know, uh, is, you know, uh, not afraid to talk about <laughs> yeah. so, some extremely, uh, extremely fucked up stuff. They, they really, they, they have, it's, it's like, um, it, it's like uh, the glass shattering episode of How I Met Your Mother, where like... <laughs> 
I now cannot think of David Carradine except in the in the best of the worst way. So maybe I'll splice in a clip of them here. I'm not sure, but <laughs> or you could also just splice in the "How I Met Your Mother" glass shattering sound. Oh man. Honestly, dude, that's the meanest thing you've ever done to me. So let's talk about volume two. Alrighty. I just feel like you were say, sort of saying at the top um, yeah. that you kind of liked volume two better. And like I, yeah. or at least that there's, I don't know, there's more of like a movie with plot and backstory happening. And like, yeah. I definitely liked volume two mm-hmm. better than I liked volume one. Cause it was, me too. it was much more, it just, it felt much more like, like a solid film as opposed to like a sort of strung together series of fight sequences. So yeah. I, yeah, I was much more on board with volume two. And I, I'd say especially the end of volume two, where it completely subverted my expectations, where um, you have, you know, uh, Uma Thurman coming in, she's gonna, she's finally gonna do it, she's sneaking into the place, <laughs> and then you get the talkiest scene in either yeah. movie, Yeah, is her just talking it out for almost the entire scene with yeah. the main bad guy, yeah. which up until the point I was wondering, like, is this like the least dialogue in any Tarantino film? Because he <laughs> does dialogue, heavy. you know, really dialogue heavy movies. Yeah, for most movies. And so that that was like, finally, like, it oh, felt here. <laughs> familiar, familiar in a way that was like, you know, really... Yeah reassuring and, and pleasant yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like all of a sudden the characters are talking to each other and also yeah. have a child who i'm really worried about by the way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i i'm concerned that that child is a psychopath yep um <laughs> I, are we supposed to be concerned that the child is because i mean not only with the killing of the goldfish but also when he when he says that like daddy shot mommy oh, and yeah. she's she says she says why did you want to see what would happen <laughs> Which is absolutely like the the, the psychopathic child <laughs> to shoot someone in a, in a like, horror movie. That would be the yeah. thing the little kid says. No, before but he like, starts... <laughs> but like, but like, seriously, that kind of yeah. that that kind of like disconnect disconnect from humanity. Like, like, you know, I I wanted I just wanted to see what would happen when I did this thing that like intellectually I totally know is lethal. Like, yeah, no, I'm real. I'm really worried. And I, not to mention, obviously who her parents are, like they're extremely <laughs> violent people. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, e- e- even, yeah, no, no matter, no matter what they do, the, the, the parents yeah. are probably going to screw that kid up some way. So, <laughs> yeah, I think part two is a better movie. Yes. It's just a better film. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's just a better movie all around. Uh, I, particularly enjoy um bud michael madsen's character Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um just because like he's again yeah for like part one which is high flying literally and metaphorically (laughs) um and like you said yeah uh your your comparison to it being like ballet was actually fantastic i never considered it like that before and there's um like really briefly here the fight with oren at the end there's some interesting like camera angles yeah. where they're mm-hmm. very zoomed out. Uh, the, the little fountain thing where it's like yeah. it's like yeah. collecting the water Plucking and dumping the water. it out. Yeah. And like it it's very zoomed out. You're not seeing a lot going on. And it almost it's like it's almost bordering on like a tilt shift kind of perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, we're watching we're watching like a little play. We're watching little characters act out, but there's no like weight to it. They're you know, well, they're especially because they're in that like, odd, surreal yeah. like, mm-hmm. setting Snowy. with the snowscape. Snow, with the, yeah, yeah, it does. It feels. I, I was thinking of it like a, it like they're like I don't know little like wind up characters in a really elaborate music box yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Or, like that's little puppets or precisely yeah. what they kind of look like. And yeah. then for all of that to 
kind of shift away and like you learn about bud's character and bud bud's character is just is just shit on his life is not good he lives by himself he has a bad job and like the uh classical idea like the classical f definition of the word of like romance mm-hmm. like the romance of this viper assassination squad is completely gone like mm-hmm. they they aren't they aren't cool they're not fun they ruin lives yeah. and they ruin their own lives and they're, they're not all a bunch of james bonds going around like these yeah are, these are sad people with yes. sad lives sad people <laughs> with sad lives and uh i just i just thoroughly enjoyed that that it took away mm-hmm. again this um this kind of attempt at enchantment well and he also i i also appreciated that he also felt really different like yeah, yeah. from these people who are like 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 every character like as you encounter them you know like they lock eyes and you know like oh these are clearly two of the best trained like martial artists in the world and they're gonna have a battle to the death by by the way that's another thing so just from being on the internet i didn't know that that was from this movie that that siren that plays when they lock eyes yeah like i've seen that in so many like random stupid videos and like when that happened with Vivica A. Fox in the first like, movie, I was oh, like, shit. Oh. <laughs> it's just that. Yeah. <laughs> Which, actually, quick tangent. In both these movies, there is, I, I was surprised by how much I already knew. Oh, about yeah. both of them so there's yeah, a little yeah. musical stings like that or like when the crazy idiot are walking into the restaurant in the, yeah. fir- in the first movie or the tea house in the first first movie like there's all these like little things that have uh that have just made it through in yeah. some way yeah. or another well and i actually have also i realized as i was watching the first one that i have actually seen parts of it before which oh, really? I think, yeah which i didn't i didn't I, I kind of vaguely knew that but like didn't fully realize and like based on vague memories and context clues and how long the chunks that i that i felt like i had seen already were i'm gonna posit that we maybe watched it in my high school film club which happened during lunch <laughs> really and <laughs> yeah and so like i've seen like the first like half hour of the movie probably and then or 20 minutes maybe and then yeah. I've seen, and then like I hadn't seen a whole bunch. And then I've seen like I had seen like most of the of the battle in the tea house or whatever it uh-huh. is, but not all of it. Yeah. And again, and then like I'm, and why? As, like as soon as it opened on Uma Thurman's face, I was like, oh, I, yeah, no, I've seen this bit, like with, like her <laughs> in the black and white, yeah, like that. And I rem- I've actually had seen the fight with Vivica A. Fox before. With the, I remembered the little kid coming in, not yeah. until it happened, but once it happened, I was like, oh, I've totally seen this. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and then, the, well, the, back to volume two, the, the right, thing sorry. that I knew, the, the big thing that I knew there that I, I didn't realize that I knew was her punching her way out of being oh, yeah. buried oh, alive, yeah. which they did on an episode of Mythbusters. It was a really good episode where they tested oh. whether or not you could actually punch <laughs> your way out of a coffin and buried <laughs> under six feet of dirt and then climb, yeah. climb up. You cannot. Okay, that's what I think. Yeah. Well, it seems like it seems like the act, the added pressure of all the dirt would that's exactly make it, it. Yeah. pretty that, difficult. That she, when she was when she you done. can punch through at a short distance through through the wood, but with all the weight of the dirt on top of you, there's no way your hand would be able to go through. Um, yeah. So that's, <laughs> sorry, sorry to. That's unfortunate for Uma. ruins. Unfortunate. I was I have to say though I was also thinking when he was doing that though that way of killing someone like and I was thinking this at the time especially because again with the with the non linear 
storytelling. Uh Like, we've already seen the beginning of the movie where she says she's killed everyone she came to kill. So, like, we know that she's going to get out of the coffin somehow because we know know she's going to get out of the situation somehow because we know Mm -hmm. that she has two more people left to kill before Bill. Um, And that she succeeds because we've already seen that. I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. But I have only one more. The last one. The one I'm driving to right now. The only one left. And when I arrive at my destination, I am gonna kill Bill. And I was I was just thinking while it was happening, I was just like, this is such an like an idiotic Bond villain way of killing someone. <laughs> like I just why what is it with like with bad guys and it's like okay I get that you want the person to suffer but like there are ways to like torture someone before killing them that aren't just that don't, aren't literally bury like doing something and then walking away and being like here's your chance to escape like one of the best people at killing people and escaping from death situations in the world the platform being lowered very slowly into a pit of sea bass. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I, yes, yes, don't do that. Like, don't kill someone that way. I don't believe that he killed her in an elaborate fashion because he thought it was elaborate, but is the only person who thinks she deserves a real death. So he gives her a grave. That's oh, what he's doing. He's oh. respecting her. Because he did show, he, you're, you are right, he did show some, like, he showed sympathy for her when he said, yeah. like, yeah. she deserves, you know, she, she deserves her revenge. A, That's yeah. true. Right. Also, am I am I was I hallucinating that that conversation also was in the first one? It was. It was. Okay. I <laughs> like to I I imagine it's because they're like, "Oh shit, like how do it like he's in the credits, but he wasn't in the movie. Like what do we do?" Like, "Oh, let's just give him like a trailer like at the middle at the end of it." Oh, yeah. That's my understanding. That. So, okay. Obviously, with the movies that we got and with the the way that they had to release them where he couldn't make one big film. Like, I understand why they did it. Mm -hmm. But as everyone now can watch these movies back to back, if they hadn't said at the end of the first movie, her daughter is still alive, that would have been a fucking epic mic drop. Yeah. Where it's, you know, mommy, come play with us. What? Like, like, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I was just thinking, like, Oh, wouldn't yeah. that not have been amazing? Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, I think that the the line, yeah, hey, her daughter is still alive, is used to make you watch part two, right? Because you're like, wait, what? What? Like, this is gonna change part two? But yeah, if there wasn't that, and like you had been shocked just as she had been, where she sees her daughter, yeah, that would have been crazy. I would really <laughs> like to see that that thing you're talking about, like if someone could recut, yeah. You know, in chronological order, and maybe with some of the the some of the stuff like that taken yeah. out, like I, I I think that'd be really interesting. That to, would be to, cool. To yeah. 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 Kind of, kind of like how uh, Topher Grace re-edited the Star Wars prequels into one movie, <laughs> yeah, and it's like actually that. pretty good. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just just the bits like you actually need. Yeah, well, yeah. he cut out all the Jar Jar, almost all the Jar Jar, and then he, like, Well, that's obviously the first thing anyone would do if they were doing <laughs> well, yeah. that. But, but, no, but he also consolidated and moved around a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting, yeah. I like um, to think that, that him having to cut out the Jar Jar moments, though, means that there's, like, a super cut of just Jar Jar. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, the one is, step there down. The is anyway, though. Like, honestly, if you went on YouTube, yeah. there's probably a super cut just of that. Just Jar Jar. The, the super cut of Jar Jar is called Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> he's in every goddamn scene. <laughs> 
and of course, <laughs> you just signs of of like what what relative age people are similar similar to how Barney Stinson gauges like whether a woman is the right age, ba- age based on her opinion Their on Ewoks. Like yeah. you can tell how old I was when the first Star Wars movie came out because one of my good friends was super obsessed with Jar Jar Binks. She just thought he was like, the funniest, <laughs> most hilarious, like greatest. Like she had, oh my God, she had her birthday party that year and it was like not that long after the movie came out. And like, honestly, I think we all got her Jar Jar Binks shit for her birthday. <laughs> like, she had a Jar Jar Binks like, beach towel. And, like, so much Jar Jar Binks shit because like she thought he was just like, but we were like, what were we like eight years old? Like, of course we thought he yeah. was cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I fully copped to the fact that when I was nine, I really loved The Phantom Menace. Like, it was, yeah. for, for, for that age, it was a very good movie yeah, for, totally. for a nine-year-old, you know? <laughs> it was cool, man. It was, like, um, cool, like, racing and shit. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Now, this is pod racing. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to Kills Bill. Um, yes. This so. is the, sec- the second of, of the Kills Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, one other kind of, this is more of a quibble than anything else, but talk about a way to waste Sam Jackson. I mean, like. I, I oh, yeah. totally disagree. I what? actually he he shows up in this like great little cryptic opening, and then he's just in that one scene. It doesn't it. do anything. I don't like... know. I kind of, and I don't know if it's just because like I know that he's in like a lot to most he's of Tarantino yeah. movies, most and like of them, yeah. we, and we all know he's a badass, and like he, he's <laughs> a badass, and like everything he does, like. I mean, I would have liked if there was more of him in the movie, but I also kind of appreciated that it was just like. It was like almost an in in joke that like oh this is just casually Samuel L Jackson for no particular just, he's he's here because he's, cause just, he's, he's here. just yeah. here because you know this is a Tarantino movie and he's in it and like <laughs> I kind of I kind of liked that there was no like there was no reason for it and no like I, I think I think again just because like we we know what he's capable of we like we don't re- we didn't we don't need the scene with him in it like right. being a being badass Samuel L Jackson to know like what he does and what he's capable of as an actor that I I don't know mm-hmm. I kind of like. I kind of like. I just sort of liked it as like a fun little in joke. Personally, speaking of in jokes, was there no Tarantino cameo in this one? No Tarantino cameo. I thank didn't see him. God, no. wow. <laughs> uh, he yeah. fucking all. That's like it, it he made, does it. Shows up in his own movies. Yeah, um, he does that. He 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 and M Night Shyamalan are like yeah. they really and, love doing that. And Hitchcock. <laughs> well, I mean, both of them Hitchcock. are ripping off Hitchcock. Yeah. I mean, Hitchcock yeah. started um, it. <laughs> but yeah, there's no Tarantino cameo, which I'm a fan of. Um, yeah, because uh, He's I mean, so I like him in Pulp and Fiction. Shifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. I like him in Pulp Fiction because he plays an odd kind of shifty character. Exactly. Like he can, that's like his best cameo. He is, can do it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, but at Reservoir Dogs is kind of like he's like he's all right there. Yeah. Uh, in Django, um, I forget what he does in Django. He plays like a guy who's got he's like carrying a cart or a carriage or something, and uh, he has remember. a slave with him. And like I just remember very much the thing like, oh my god, like. Quentin Tarantino, you are <laughs> aging really terribly. Like you're, you should stop being in your own movies. Fun um, fact, the first thing that I know Quentin Tarantino from before knowing him as a director or anything at all is the the role that he played on Alias. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, did, was, what did he do in Alias? Oh, I can't even, you know, Alias is so, like, convoluted, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I don't really, I don't even remember. Wait, but... wait, wait. You're, you're telling me that a J.J. Abrams <laughs> TV show was convoluted that that doesn't sound right he was i can't i can't remember but he was on more than one episode as like the lead the leader of something i feel like he's the guy i feel like he worked with sark who was like the blonde british guy i don't know 
I don't I've never remember, seen Alias. So I don't remember I, the details of Alias well enough to remember who Quentin Tarantino was in it. But <laughs> he was very, he was just like a sh- like shifty and weird though. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I have, a, I have a question for the both of you, which is yeah. like, have, have you watched a lot of like Kung Fu or just generally martial arts no. movies? I've seen some and I understand that these two films are supposed to be, um, Quentin Tarantino's word for it would be homage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Many I've, other people's words would be rip off. Yeah, rip off. Because uh, I, I, um, I had that. I had that sense of distance, especially yeah. in the second one with yeah. Pai Lei. Was that the name of yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. master? Yeah. Where, where, like, I, I was like, oh, okay, I see what you're trying to do. Like, I, I bet this would be really funny. Or bet yeah. this would be really, <laughs> you know, great if yeah. I, if I knew, eat it up. Y- you know, if I knew what it was doing. And like, I kind of knew just a little bit just from like you know cultural osmosis stuff but like yeah. I, I i don't know I, I i even though i liked those scenes and i liked that character um it, it was it was kind of i think tarantino the snake eating its own tail a little bit where yeah. it's clear that he just like loves this shit loves so it. much yeah it. and it's i did no i that, that was definitely a sense i had i had through it as well that i was just like i it's it's very clear what it's referencing at or ripping off of or whatever but like mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also throughout was was again kind of like you know I feel like if I was into this I would be really yeah, really yeah. into this like if I was yeah. into this type of movie I've seen a handful of them enough to get like a lot of especially the sort of visual language of it kind of stuff yeah. but but yeah no I I yeah I I agree I think it's like if you're a fan of that stuff this would definitely be like really cool yeah <laughs> yeah from my understanding like the guy who plays hattori hanzo like in the first one mm-hmm. is also supposed to be like a very well-known uh japanese actor who does these kinds of roles really like, who plays this and so like so if you saw him in this so you'd that's be like, like, oh, a you'd be like holy shit <laughs> like meta casting kind of thing yeah, yeah exactly cool. they're supposed to well, be and meta-casting. david carradine was in a tv show called, called kung, kung fu, fu. Yeah, yeah which was like i think he's an american he plays yeah he plays yeah. He plays Bill. Like, um, <laughs> if, like that's it. Like, he, if 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 David Carradine's be- character became like an asshole, like he could very much so become Bill. Like, and yeah, it's a lot of metacast. If, fun fact about David Carradine being in the movie: he was not originally cast. Really, um, I do not know who the original person to play Bill was, but on set, uh, Quentin Tarantino would. Re- repeatedly and consistently say uh say it more like bill carradine would say it in kung fu uh act more like bill like david carradine, david carradine like yeah, david carradine yeah. would do in in kung fu and uh maybe if you said it like this or if you brought your voice really? down a little bit and the wow. actor got so fed up he's like just hire david carradine <laughs> and so Quentin's like oh i didn't even think i could get him and so he did. That must be. I, I wonder if like they they have that in, like the DVD special features or anything like the clips like of the like old footage. Whoever was originally Bill, like so, that'd be so weird. Similar to watching like the the unaired Thirty oh. Rock pilot where uh, where Rachel where Dratch Rachel Dratch's Jenna like yeah. Ooh. <laughs> right, or, or I was gonna say the um the bits of Back to the Future they yeah. filmed with Eric Stoltz as yeah. uh, Marty, Marty McFly before they cast Michael J. Fox. Weird. Um, which uh is like they because the, the scenes are like. And not even like the Thirty Rock, the other Thirty Rock pilot, where they moved a bunch of stuff around and they changed some lines. Like the Back to the Future scenes with Eric Stoltz are identical. Yeah, word like, for word. It, oh, that's it, creepy. It, it's eerie because mm-hmm. like they're they're framed exactly the same, and Doc Brown, like Christopher Lloyd, is saying exactly the same stuff. It's, it's it feels as though they like cut and pasted the actor in yeah, digitally, but obviously so they, they didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, I think I'm mostly out of stuff to say about about these movies. But uh, Emily, any any other thoughts to to bring to the table? 
Well, I have another thought from the feminism corner, which Go is the it. corner that I'm always in. Um, <laughs> sorry, can't help it. Not sorry, actually. Anyway, yeah. um, hashtag well, sorry, not sorry. It's 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 a really it's a really kind of minor, really really minor thing. Um, but I was I was actually quite disappointed by the flashback at the very end where you see her on her like last mission when she first finds yeah. out she's pregnant. Oh yeah. Um, and and that the way that it played out was specifically that she was like, look, you know. I'm pregnant. It was a sen- and, and the other woman left. Mm-hmm. Like that that was I, there was more to it, but that was essentially that was essentially how it ended. And like right. something that I appreciated about this movie from the very very beginning, that first fight scene with Vivica Fox, like after the daughter leaves and she's like, "Look, bitch. I need to know if you're going to start any more shit around my baby girl. You can relax for now. I'm not going to murder you in front of your child." It's being more rational than Bill led me to believe you were capable of. It's mercy, compassion, and forgiveness I lack. Not rationality. Right from that point, like, because like, there's definitely, I, I, could, I, could, I could write, and I'm sure bajillions of other people have gone on and on about a lot of the, the problems with this movie. Not just the very obvious coma rate problem, but, like, a lot of the other problems with, the like, capitalized letters strong female character you know mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. that's like not actually a strong character all that kind of stuff and a lot there's a lot of that going on in this movie in these movies but one thing I really really appreciated about them was that all of these women kept going up against each other and fighting and they never did any of that kind of like like that that feminine sympathy bullshit that often happens in in scenes where two women fight in other movies mm-hmm. where like or in other books whatever where like you know they're fighting and then all of a sudden like they realize that they shouldn't they sh- they're you know they're both angry over a man and they shouldn't be fighting yeah, over that yeah. or mm. or you know oh you have a child oh well cuz we're both women and obviously therefore we're both maternal and therefore you know <laughs> we have sympathy for each other and the world i'm not going to kill you now cuz i know you're well, also a mother that would never happen in like, the same with two men fighting even exactly. if they're like that yeah. that that kind of like that kind of like oh we connect we connect on this like maternal feminine level and therefore you know we're not going to we're not going to beat the shit out of each other and cut each other's heads off with swords like th- these movies didn't do that all the way throughout and like i really appreciated that i was like you know what they're just they're fighting the way that they would fight just because they're you know badass trained assassins like yes mm-hmm. i am here for this and then at the very 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 end they have to throw mm-hmm. in this thing where this woman leaves her alive basically just because she's pregnant and i'm just like guys so this is this is interesting because this, this seems to be a trope that I wasn't really aware was as much of a trope as it is. Because like mm-hmm. when I was watching that scene, I was like, I liked that scene. I liked that sort of dialogue between those two characters between between the bride and uh, Karen, whatever her yeah. name was. Um, like, uh, what are like some examples of like that in other other thing? I kind of I I feel like my 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 gut is telling me that I've probably seen this and then not correctly identified it as problematic. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just kind of washed over me in the past i've never really noticed it as a trope well and of course now i'm struggling to come up with a good example yeah well um <laughs> i'll, I'll t- i can tv tropes it later on if you can't but <laughs> well and the thing is i don't know if it would show up on tv tropes like well and it's and it's i you know and it's probably not something that happens like in the middle of a fight scene kind of like you know yeah. the way the way it does with that first fight with vivica a fox but like mm-hmm. i feel i feel like it's it's a thing in ah uh, uh, god i wish i could come up with a good example of it in, in a lot of things I've both read and watched where where a pair of women who are supposed to be antagonists mm-hmm. end up 
like one of them helps the other out because of some kind of like feminine sympathy kind of situation. Like, and I'm, ah, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of a good example of it. And just to complicate a bit though, I, I do, I think calling them sympathetic feminine stereotypes at the end of this, like the scene that we were talking about here in kill in volume two, they, they were still very much like, I'm going to shoot you if, if I need to. Like it, it wasn't, it oh, wasn't a yeah, complete no. like erasure of the, yeah. the characters who they already were. Oh, abso- no, absolutely. Let's have a hug. You well, know? No, no, no. I know. And when I, when I say sympathetic feminine stereotypes, I don't mean sympathetic, like them as a character being more sympathetic to us. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. I mean like the, stere- the stereotype mm-hmm. of like feminine sympathy. Okay. Where, yeah. where, you know, you and again it often happens on like a on like a sort of maternal level of like oh well we're both we're both mothers so we can we can relate over the fact that like you know we're both women and we're both mothers and like maybe i'll let you out of this medieval jail that you're in or whatever (laughs) and shit it's driving me nuts that i can't think of like of like the the argument that they the the example that i'm arguing against here it's kind of interesting because i know exactly like the trope that emily's bringing up Uh, like i know of it and it's hard for me to also like pin down a thing like pin like oh when did i last see it but it's it's like it's a thing it's definitely a thing um but it's hard to like have two characters that i know that have gone through it or fiction that has exhibited it i do think though that there is a flaw in trying to be like that that wouldn't happen and i think in kill bill like it is not out of the ordinary that this would naturally occur like this has happened a lot to you. When, when <laughs> I also when think you, like when you've been in a shootout I, with another I have, fellow assassin, and, and that one like, time you were pregnant, I've been then... like six shootouts, and five of them I've been pregnant, and I've lived through those five. Um, but like, what I'm saying is like, I also might just have a very different point of view. I think just in terms of like, uh, like to make it strange, of like getting out of danger, and like I do personally think that if I was like in imminent danger, yeah. with like another man. And I told that man, dude, I'm about to have a kid. Like, and if that guy didn't be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, I, f- I fucking hate you, but like, we'll we'll put this on pause. Like, if that guy didn't put it on pause, I'd be like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> not I, cool. Yeah, not, not cool, cool at all. Women have to be maternal, and men are not allowed to be like to have that kind of sympathy. And like, both things are problems. God damn right, it, but, pop no, culture. But, but David's saying that it would happen the other way around. I would, no, yeah, I know yeah. it would, but it does it in pop culture, though. Okay. Does it? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Well, like the, the, I know, the art. I, like I couldn't come up with example of the thing of like of the thing that I'm annoyed by, and like so I'm also not going to be able to come up. With, but like I don't know. I feel like I don't think of of, of, of the scene that you just described, right? Yeah. Like like the I, I feel like that's yeah. not a thing you see very much. In... Well, okay, yeah, I've never seen it. I've, exactly, I've and, that's, it. But, and that's the except thing. in real life. Yeah, except in real life. But what I'm saying is like even if something doesn't happen in pop culture doesn't mean we should discount it when it does happen in pop culture if like that thing could be rooted in real human emotion it's a believable character turn yeah it's a believable character turn like it's i agree if if like karen had suddenly like burst down like weeping like oh right (laughs) i also felt this like I've dreamt of motherhood <laughs> since I was since I was born, and like then I'd be like, yeah, this is fucked, you know. Like, but like I think it's uh, I, I think if we're if we're watching too closely for tropes, like we could we could tear apart, not even tear apart, we could find 
that trope and everything. Wait, like, so I, you're, you're saying that there's a way to watch movies and not be constantly trope aware? <laughs> you have to teach that, me your ways. I know. That sounds alien to me. That sounds like, like it would be really nice. Because, like, what if, I, what if I started a book and I was like, oh, man goes on a journey? I've read this fucking book yeah. before. Like, <laughs> Goddamn William no, Campbell. I... Stranger comes to town. Whew. Good one, dude. <laughs> like, all right, all right. It's just point, a bit much. Point taken, point taken. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say, like, uh, when I, I recently made the mistake of watching Kong Skull Island, oh my and God. that's a movie that is not only full of just, like, really obvious lazy troops, but yeah. it's also full of obvious, like, rip-off slash homages to, to much better movies. Uh-huh. And that, that whole movie, like, I was so... And also the characters are shit. Everything about that movie is bad. But I was so distracted the entire time. I was yeah. just like, this movie can't exist unless you have never seen any other movie. Like, why? if this is the first movie you've ever seen, it's probably like, yeah. okay. You know? I still want to know why we're still making King Kong. Like, why do they remake King Kong, like, every couple years? I don't get it. They remade Ben Hur last year for no goddamn reason. Well, and like, I mean, like, but I like I know, like, we have remake. a whole it's, we it's have a familiarity. Remake, we have a remake problem in general, yeah. but I don't understand why they keep making King Kong over again, over and over again. In particular, that one. I'm just like, so why? my my understanding of why they make why they remade King Kong is so that they create they could create a King Kong who lives in a universe yeah. that could the, fight Godzilla. This, this, this is the I swear, oh this, is, this is the fucking... It, no, yeah. you're right, you're right. This it's it's, it the, no, uh, it's no. inspired by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This yeah. is the Universal oh. Studios uh, monster universe. Yeah. Godzilla and oh King God. Kong no. and Dracula and Frankenstein. Although I, think I will say, as, as the co-host of a podcast that's very <laughs> specifically named in the mode of... A of a giant monster battle movie. Yeah, I guess we probably shouldn't complain about that. <laughs> no, but but back back to back to your point about like it's it's okay that it's a trope when it's a real a real thing that's like plausibly would happen. Like point absolutely taken on that. And like I, you're right. It's it's not fair to ask every movie to subvert every trope and stereotype all the time because some tropes and stereotypes are rooted in realistic things so i guess i'm more just like i i guess i more just wish that like that like tropes didn't happen as much overall yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. Really asking no for, for. sure <laughs> i get that uh there was like one thing i wanted to like yeah close with which totally. was um i'm very like i'm very hooked on the character again bud um mm-hmm. and i'm very hooked on the character uh because uh i hate like i hate like bringing other fiction into things because it's gonna be like, whoa, David, this one better fucking relate. But um, <laughs> but in the kite runner, you, yeah, you, you clearly don't talk to me. You've clearly never talked to me before because like that's what that's what conversing with me is like. Yeah, but um, <laughs> just so you know, since you're the geek, uh, you have an obligation to relate this to Thirty Rock or Harry Potter by the end of the episode. <laughs> I, I should have mentioned by by the start. I'll, I'll find a way. Have but, we um, already related it to Thirty Rock? In, oh, that's uh, true. Yeah. In uh, in, come on, Eric. He's the geek, though. <laughs> I'm gonna dust. I'm gonna dust this one off. In Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh man. Yeah. Um. All right. The reason I, if people haven't read Dracula, um, there's a there's a strong. I heard it sucks. Uh, t- it's, it's a it's. Oh my strangely, god, Eric! It's strangely... I, hate you. I hate you so much for saying that. You're the worst. <laughs> Thank you. Um. There's a strong interpretation that Dracula is 
a threatening force, not entirely because he's a monster and he sucks blood and he can ride a moonbeam or shit like that. He can um, ride moonbeams? He can ride, I haven't yeah. read this. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of, he's got a lot of powers that don't bubble don't up. Although he does, have a lot of, he does have a lot of powers that other vampires don't in Buffy versus Dracula. So that's fair. That's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's I'll a theory that um, an interpretation that uh, Dracula is so threatening because he is an ancient villain. He is hundreds of years old, yet he has fully integrated into the Industrial Revolution, into modern industry. And so Dracula starts, the book starts with, uh, with shipments made between uh, the docks of, I think it's London. It might be London, but I'm not sure. Um, and it's, it's just this, essentially this log of like, Hey, there's this shipment of this being sent out and the shipment Mm. of that being sent out foodstuffs and goods. And Dracula hides on one of those shipments. That is how he integrates with modern society. And because like crowds, literally crowds are a thing that the public have, have had to get used to cities within crowds. I mean, crowds within cities that they don't know who Dracula is. Dracula could be the guy next to you. Dracula could be the man running the shipping company. Mm-hmm. He could integrate fully and you don't know. So what I'm saying is he's playing by a different set of rules and that is what makes him threatening. He is, despite being this ancient villain, he adapts and he is comfortable in a setting. And what I kind of like about Bud is that he plays by different rules he that the bride is used to when you when you when you first see the movies the bride is used to dressing head to toe like in a matching yellow motorcycle (laughs) suit and then like she takes off there's this scene where she takes off her motorcycle jacket and she's wearing the same jacket like below but as like a sweatsuit but as a sweatsuit (laughs) and she's used to these fanciful dioromatic kind of uh showdowns and bud doesn't do that and Bud is the only character who actually captures the bride. Like, huh. he's the only one. And how does he get her? He uses a gun. Because why <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, but it's who like, fights with duh. The sword? Who fights with the sword? So, like, Bud is this guy who operates just by different rules. And That's he, really he rejects really this fanciful understanding of how assassins are supposed to fight. And how assassins are no supposed honor to, among like, thieves. No yeah. honor among thieves. And like even when Vivica a Fox is like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go. We're gonna dress all in black. We're gonna have knife fight. It's so procedural and so like uh, processional is what I meant. It's so processional and so like there's this pomp and circumstance. And, Although like, she does then pull a gun. Yeah, yeah. she's a which she's Bill a liar. Which Bill also does later Bill on. Bill also when does. They're later talking on. about how they're going to have their final showdown. Yeah, yeah, and but Bill's also talking about like, oh, we'll go to the moon, the the yeah. beach, and we're going really to go to the moonlight, right? Uh, moonlight, you know. blah blah, and like yeah, they they all resort to guns, but like Bud doesn't monologue. Bud Bud sits he in a chair yeah. and he <laughs> shoots. And, like, I just really enjoy that. I really enjoy that the threat to the bride yeah. is someone who operates in a modern society. It yeah. feels, immediately feels different yeah. and scarier. And if I yeah. hadn't seen the Mythbusters episode where she punches yeah. out of the grave, I wouldn't have spent the entire <laughs> next like, half hour huh. going, like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I actually did, I, I felt like I knew where that was going just, again, because, like, yeah. we already knew that yeah. she gets Crit. out of the situation. But we don't know how. I mean, it could have right. been something else. I like, knew it was going to yeah. be punching out. Like, I knew. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that until she started training to punch through wood and it was like mm-hmm. wow. yeah 
Oh, well, that's I, just, I wonder if I wonder if that might come in handy, which sort of has a little bit of the feeling <laughs> of like um, if you watch the Harry Potter movies, but you, like you, you're not familiar, like it's not as much of an issue in the books, but in the yeah. movies because they have to cut so much out. Where and see how hey, look, I've related it to Harry Potter. Did it, Harry Potter alarm? That's the Harry Potter alarm. Anyway, um, no, but in the movies because there's so much density in the books, you know they they usually like cut out most of the school scenes except for mm-hmm. literally where they learn like the five skills that it's going to take to <laughs> defeat whatever the final thing is. You know, like you watch them learn when Guardian Leviosa and then literally oh, yeah. the same day they yeah. use <laughs> Guardian Leviosa to escape from the mountain troll. Like whoop doo right. Like it's a little bit like that. Yeah. 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 It's a Chekhov's wand, if you will. <laughs> Which was actually what I wrote down. I actually wrote the phrase, uh, Chekhov's five point palm. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty. As soon yeah, as he yeah. said it, I was like, "That is Chekhov's five point palm." That's, that's just gonna die. Yeah. My um, on that, and this is the last one. Yeah. On that note, uh, my brother always had because, like, at the end, he's like, "He taught you the five point exploded palm." <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, "Why would he do that?" And I always enjoyed that my brother had a reason for it, and I was like, I wasn't really looking for a reason, but um, my brother's theory is that like when Paime uh, first fights the bride and she tries to use a rock against him. And he says, this is my arm now. Like my brother's like, oh, she learned it because that arm belongs to him. Like it's his. Like she didn't, he didn't, she didn't have to necessarily learn it, quote unquote. Like that is still belonging to Paime. I was like, oh, that's kind (laughs) of neat. I wouldn't have thought that. It's just neat. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. I bet there's a bunch of like, fun fan theories and stuff kind yeah. of around this movie like people filling in some of the you know the mythology yeah, the gaps, of the yeah. divas and all that stuff you yeah. know and the crazy 88 and also all. super fun fact the cereal that uh vivica fox kaboom yeah <laughs> that she uses to pour it says kaboom and then she uses it to kaboom and i think i think that's one of his brands that's in a yeah. bunch of other movies like yeah, i think yeah. that may be in pulp fiction or something um yeah he there's a Add for this cigarette, red, uh, apple. red apple. It's in most of his movies. Um, Aren't there a bunch of uh, like theories about like Tarantino movies all happening in the same universe and stuff? Similar, well, yeah, to, no. similar to Pixar. So, yeah. so uh, in this one, the same grave. Exact thing. The, yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> the grave that she gets buried in in this one is Paula Schultz, and in Django Unchained, there's a character who's a dentist whose name is Schultz, and I think he talks. He mentions briefly that his oh. wife Paula died. Yeah. Well, and her death is like 1860. Like I noticed on the tombstone that it was really old. It was someone who died yeah. in like 1863 or something, which would right be exactly exactly. So, whoa, wow. Okay, that's cool. So that was something where he was like, he knew he had this this character whose wife died, and he's like in 1863. Yeah, yeah exactly. He was making making a, a movie set in the set in the 1860s or 70s, and it's like, all right, I yeah. can do this. I Gonna can use this. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that in the 1860s to 70s? It's that it goes that late in history. Sorry, I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, you, oh, Django. Yeah, Django's good. Django's worth seeing. Um, yeah, it takes place in the post-war West. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just assumed it was pre/slash during since. Like, no, because like slaves. I mean, no, it's it's the that's the whole thing with like the um like the Wild West, the kind of the sanitized version of the Wild West is like kind of covers up the fact that well, the oh white no, washed, lot... the whitewashed version of the Wild West, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Where a lot of people who were going west were slave owners and people who people who were in the Confederacy who lost and wanted to you know yeah get away and yeah um anyway yeah I guess oh I didn't know good. that okay anyway see yeah. that's what happens when you haven't seen a movie. 
Yeah. Um, I think that about wraps it up yeah. for, for yeah, yeah, the yeah. Kills Bill. Oh, yeah, nothing. Um, but, uh, David, this is awesome. Thanks so much yeah, for, thank joining you for joining us on this episode. For sure. Um, so we always uh, end by kind of teasing what's going to come next. We don't actually know what we're going to be talking about next time because we're recording recording these like super out of order. Mm-hmm. So we'll just cut to if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? Oh, yeah. You can find me uh, through a variety of ways. Um www.davidalruiz that's r-u-i-z dot com but uh, I also host my own podcast um, which is about managing grief after the death of a loved one that podcast is called Death Knell and you can find that at deathknellradio.com and uh, on Twitter at at Death Knell Radio. It's really good. He's he, he's too modest to say it himself, but Death Knell is really, really good. <laughs> I, I have heard it's good. That is all I will say. <laughs> uh, it is a immense pleasure to get to work on it. So that's about it. And Emily Jones, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. This is Giant Geek versus Mega Noob going on a roaring rampage of revenge. <laughs> This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com.